Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, your law is perfect. Converting the soul, a sure testimony given wisdom to the unlearned and enlightening the eyes of the blind. We ask in boldness to enlighten us by your spirit so that we may truly understand that we might profess your law and live, it, live according to it since it has pleased you, most merciful Father, reveal to us the mysteries of who Christ is. May we have humble and contrite hearts. Grant us the spirit of Christ. Bring us back to your truth when we stray from it, that we may serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As many of you might know, in the Kenyan home, we play a lot of games. But there's a funny thing about games. When you go into other people's houses, they typically play very similar games, even though they're the exact same game. Right? Everyone, when they play a game in their home, has what's called house rules. These are rules given to every game, but each household typically deals with these rules in two different ways. How the rules are interpreted and how the rules are enforced. For instance, once we were playing a game of dominoes in the Kenyan home. And in dominoes, if anyone plays a double... That double must be played on. If no one plays on the double, it is considered open. No one can play on any other domino until that double is closed. And the burden of the closing of the dominoes falls on whoever's next in line. So if you wanted to play that 5-7, I'm sorry, you've got to close the double. Now, Someone who doesn't know the Kenyan house rules came and played with us one time. And they didn't understand how to play according to a double played needs to be closed. And we started the game. Someone played the double 15, right? That's how you start the game. You play the double the highest and you work its way down. Someone played the double 15, but they didn't have another 15 to close the double. And so we said... Someone needs to close it. And they said, that's not how we play. <laughs> oh. In the Kenyan rule book, this is how you play. And of course, tempers were raised slightly. Flaws of interpretation and enforcement were pointed out. There was a minor gnashing of teeth. And guess what? Everyone's train suffered because the double wasn't closed. They had to play by the Kenyan house rules. This morning, we read the house rules of Yahweh. We read the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy 5, Yahweh is giving his people house rules. If you are to live in my house, this is how you must live. 
At the end of chapter 5, we read, You shall be very careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way of the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that I have promised you. And we all know Deuteronomy 6 comes after Deuteronomy 5. And Deuteronomy 6 is, you shall train your children up in the knowledge of house rules. These are my house rules. This is what distinguishes you as my people. This is how you are to live in my house. Deuteronomy 7, he tells them why. Because you are my people and I have chosen you. In order to receive God's blessing, in order to live and multiply, you are to live according to my house rules. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you have a a pew Bible, turn to page 153. Because God says, these are my house rules. But I'm going to give you this warning. And we find this warning in Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 17. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Least when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flint rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do your good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might has gotten me this wealth. Israel's biggest threat wasn't the enemies in the land they were going into. Israel's biggest threat wasn't the culture of the world they were going into. Israel's biggest threat is that they would forget who Yahweh is was. Because if they forgot who Yahweh was, they would forget who they were. Contrary to what we might actually think of these house rules, these house rules should not be seen as a hindrance to our life. These house rules, the Ten Commandments, as Francis Schaeffer says, these are the law of God's love for his people. Do you want to flourish as the people of God? Live by my house rules. Because if you live by these house rules, your days will be long in the land that I have promised you. You will flourish as I created you and intended you to live. Why? Because if you live by my house rules, the first thing you will do is you will love the Lord God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is a life 
that leads to flourishing. Because if you live by his house rules, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Because these house rules reveal to us who owns the house. The law reveals the law giver. Now I say all this because when we come to Micah chapter, one, chapter 2 verse 1, we hear Micah say, whoa. It's almost as if he's trying to stop traffic, saying, putting up his hands. Whoa, Israel, you're going the wrong way. Turn around and flee. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet. They covet. Last week we talked about, in Micah chapter 1, that God was bringing judgment upon all people. He called the nations before him that he might indict them. And right as Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, were grabbing their popcorn to watch this judgment come down on the nations, Micah turned the tables on them in verse 5 and said the judgment was coming because of their transgression and because of their sins. Here in chapter 2, we are seeing what those sins were. And Micah is calling them to cease and desist. You who were set apart to be a holy nation. Yet the Lord knows that is not what is in your heart. In your heart you devise wickedness. In your heart you lay in your beds only thinking of doing evil. Typically in scripture, evil is done in the darkness, but that's not what we see here. We see the evil being devised in the darkness, but we see it actually being played out in broad daylight. They have no fear of the Lord anymore. And what were they doing? They were seizing fields and houses and the inheritance of their fellow citizens. In this day, if you lost your land, you lost everything. If you lost your land, you lost your blessing from God. Because it was the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 10 who actually owned the land. If they lost their land, they lost the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they lost their land, they became indentured servants. And even in Leviticus, we see that if you have to give your land away because you cannot keep it, in the year of Jubilee, it was supposed to be returned to them. But that isn't what we see here in Micah. They were seizing it because they saw it and they wanted it. They were coveters. They were coveting. They were breaking the tenth and final commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house 
or his field or anything else that is your neighbor's. But this is what's hard about coveting. Is out of all the Ten Commandments, coveting is the only commandment that can't be enforced by human beings. The heart is only known to oneself and to Yahweh. Because coveting is a matter of the heart. As Kevin DeYoung says, Coveting is like saying, they sure have a lot of nice stuff. I wish I had a lot of nice stuff. Coveting is, why couldn't I have married someone like that? I'd be happier if I had what they had. It's not fair that that family gets to go on vacations and my family doesn't get to. I wish I could be smart like that person. Why is their life so much easier than my life? Because in the end, what coveting reveals is our heart's discontentment with what the Lord has given us. In our heart, we are saying, God, what you have given us isn't enough. I want more. We lack proper contentment when we forget who Yahweh is and what he has done for us. We forget what he has provided, what he has given, what he has done and what he has promised that he will do. And this is the warning that Moses gave all the people. Take care lest you forget when your bellies are full, when you have nice houses, when you've accumulated wealth, beware before your heart says, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. Guess what? There was no shortage of religion in Micah's day. There was a shortage of peoples whose hearts revealed the heart of the lawgiver. There was a shortage of people who remembered who God is, who he is like, and what he has done for them. But do you know what the sign of a content heart looks like? I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 985 of your pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Colossians three fifteen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
the heart of a content of the sign of a content heart is being thankful in all things. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Micah is declaring to this people, you are an ungrateful people. You have forgotten Yahweh. We have to ask ourselves, does this describe us? Because I promise you, you know what this does? This is constantly reminding me of what I don't have. This is constantly telling me a story of what I need to be happy. This is constantly showing me what other people have that I wish I had. Now, this isn't all that this does. But it reveals my heart. It reveals that I truly don't believe I've received all things from a God who loves me. Because what my heart says is, I need more. And if this is what your heart says, this is what Micah says. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster. This family, all the people, not just the ones who are coveting, not just the ones who are seizing the land and taking the homes and taking the inheritance, this family, all of God's people, will experience the consequences of sin. And in that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. This is what the people will say. God's people will say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, he, how he removes it from me. To the apostate, he allots my fields. They took the land from others. And so God is taking the land back from them. And he's given it to the apostate. He's given it to the people who are outside the community of God. Because they have forgotten. Micah is telling me, telling them, you are no longer my people because you are not playing by house rules. You belong to a different house. And because of that, you have no portion in my house. That's what he says in verse 5. Therefore, you will, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. As the people of God, this is referring back to the book of Joshua, when it was Yahweh who used the line to allot all of the families of Israel their land that he gave them. Micah is addressing the condition of Judah's heart. They were a people of his treasured possession, a people whom God wanted to use to bless the nations if they walked before him. 
and yet they had forgotten who he was. They had forgotten who they were. But their condition actually gets worse in verse 6. They actually had prophets preaching a false gospel. In verse 6, do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? These quotation marks are given to show us what these false prophets were preaching. Do not preach this, Micah. Do not preach that judgment will come, that God actually cares what I live like. We're the people of God. We have everything. It doesn't matter how we live. Don't preach that judgment stuff. Preach grace. Will the Lord really grow impatient with us? No. Would God really do this to us? No. He's a God of love. He will not forsake us. We want people to preach, you can live however you want to, and God will be just fine. But then Micah interrupts. At the end of verse 7, do not my words, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. You see, these preachers, they were much like Jonah. If you remember in Jonah, what did Jonah remember about God? He was merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But both Jonah and these preachers are forgetting how that verse ends. Who will by no means clear the guilty. You know what these preachers are doing? Look at verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He would be a preacher for this people. You live your life however you want, and you will receive God's blessing. You can cheat, steal, covet, dishonor your mother, your father, lie, murder, hate. You can do all of it. And God will be just fine because he's a God of love. But what is the measure of who this God is? He's measured by his words. He is measured by what he says. And to those who preach such false teaching, this is what Micah says in verse 10. Get out. Arise and go, for this is no place of rest. This promised land which has been given to you to experience the eternal rest of Yahweh, because of what you are preaching, this is no longer a land of rest because of uncleanliness. This is the opposite of holiness. Being set apart for the purposes of God to redeem his world. They have turned who they are upside down. They have become enemies of Yahweh. 
because this is where discontentment leads. This is where our sin always leads. This is what transgressions always lead to forgetting who God is. But there's also a message of hope. In verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather a remnant of Israel, and I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pastures, a noisy multitude of men. First, I want to notice a few things about the people then I want us to look at a couple things about this shepherd king. Notice in verse 13, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass through the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them. The Lord is at their head. Where are the people? They're stuck in the gate. They're in captivity. They are in no position of saving themselves. They're in a position of undeniable vulnerability. And what do they need? They need saving. But notice what we see about this shepherd king. Notice where his position is. He is not in a high and exalted place. Where does he go? He goes to the sheep inside the gate. He is the breaker, the breacher of the gate. He is not behind them. He is not beside them. He is not their co-pilot. He is out in front leading the charge. He's their shepherd king. He's the one who holds the power of their release. And this is what he's doing. He is gathering his people. The fortune and the, for, the fortune and the fortune future of these people are not in their power or their might. It is in what their shepherd king will do for them. He comes to his people where they are and he rescues them. And finally, notice who he actually is. The very last line. Yahweh is at their head. It's Yahweh. Who is like Yahweh? Who comes to his people who need saving and goes out before them and breaks their bond of captivity. And think what, think what the people of Israel are listening to. We want a king that looks like that. 
We want a king who doesn't seize the land of the people. We don't want a king who takes away their inheritance. We don't want a king who devises evil, who strips people of everything they have, who preys on widows and orphans. We want a king who comes to his people and gathers them together and redeems them. He comes to us and does not simply disregard our sin and saying it doesn't matter. But this king did come. And he dealt with our sin on the cross. He took our sin, our yoke that was hanging on our necks that we could not get rid of. And he took it and he nailed it to the cross. Because he's a king who loves his people. The only instrument for accepting the finished work of Christ on your behalf is to follow him by faith. Faith is following. Biblical faith is following Jesus. Do you know what God's house rules are? Follow Jesus. You know what the true Christian life consists of? Following Jesus. Being conformed to look like Jesus. To love God above all things. To love our neighbor as he has loved us. And to be thankful in all things. Because it's in Christ we have been given all things. This is the gospel. Look to the shepherd king. Look to Jesus. Let's pray.